This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. From Studio A inside the Rick L. and Vicki L. James University Center, this is Trine Line. Hello, I'm James Tu, Assistant Vice President for Content and Communications at Trine University, and this is the Trine Line Podcast. Trine University President Dr. John Shannon will discuss some of the latest happenings at Trine University and issues in higher education. Thank you, Dr. Shannon, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. In this episode, we want to talk about leadership. Dr. Shannon, this was a topic you specifically requested for this podcast. Why do you have such an interest in the topic of leadership? I've been involved with academic leadership for the past 26 years. It's what I have been doing. It's uh, very important to me in terms of my success in my career. So uh, I'd love to have the opportunity to elaborate on it. Well, that's what we'll do today then. Um, So how would you describe your personal leadership style? So I would start by saying uh, my style is eclectic. And I say that because there are different leadership styles. And uh, I think that there is a time and a place for each of them. So leadership styles can range from affiliative, which is where the leader wants to bring harmony to the group, authoritative, where the leader is the visionary who tells people this is where we're going, coaching, where the leader is encouraging to everyone, coercive, where the, the leader is commanding, we're going to do this this way, democratic, where the leader is collaborative and tries to get everybody on board, And pace setting, where a leader is um, trying to ensure that everyone is meeting the deadlines that have been set. These six leadership styles all come from Daniel Goleman's seminal work on leadership. And for me, there's a time and a place for each of them. I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one particular style because at times I will be coaching, other times maybe authoritative, collaborative, you know, democratic, and so on and so forth. Is there any you uh, may lean toward more one than the other, recognizing that, again, yeah, different situations may call for different styles, but is there one you you think you tend to lean into more? So if I, yeah, I would say uh, probably it would be more of a democratic leader in the sense that I try to understand the situation that a certain decision is aimed at. And that means talking to people who will be involved with or impacted by that decision. So I found that when you have to make a decision on a topic and you don't have all of the information, then it's less likely to be successful. Right? And you get that information by talking to the experts in that field, in that area, those who are going to be involved and, imp- like I said, and impacted. So uh, I, I do uh, rely on input from others in order to make decisions to be um, effective as, as a leader. Who are leaders that you use as an example or model, and why do you, would you use those, those particular leaders? So from a historical perspective, there's two that I want to talk about. The first is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was an incredible leader. He was one of the greatest military minds of all time. He overcame incredible odds, and he did so by thinking outside the box. One example of that was his siege of Tyre, which was an island off the coast of Phoenicia. At 40,000 people, the walls of the settlement there extended right down to the shore. There was nowhere to land. They wouldn't give up to him. So he thought outside the box, like, how can I, I got to get close. 
he had to break down those walls. So he built a causeway that extended a kilometer out into the sea. That had never been done before. It was a remarkable achievement on his part. And as a result, they did breach the walls and they conquered the city. That's just one example of so many where Alexander the Great, he understood that traditional means would not be effective. So he thought of other ways to get the job done. So he's the first one. The second is Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln uh, was brilliant. He expected excellence from those around him, and he maintained his values. And maybe most importantly, he, he didn't give up. He was extremely persistent. So just to give you a list of his, some of his failures, going back to 1832, he was defeated for state legislature. The next year, he failed in business. Two years later, his sweetheart died. The next year, he had a nervous breakdown. Two years later, he was defeated for speaker. Fast forward about six or so years, he was defeated for Congress. Uh, five years after that, he lost a renomination for Congress. Uh, the next year, he was rejected as land officer. Five years later, defeated for the U.S. Senate. Two years after that, uh, defeated for nomination for vice president. Two years later, 1858, defeated again for U.S. Senate. Two years later, 1860, elected president of the United States. It's just remarkable that he would take all of these, what other people call failures, build upon them, not give up, continue, move forward, and achieve his, his goals. So that's a great lesson for any leader, that if you fail and you learn from it, then it's not a bad thing. It's something you can build upon going forward. So I, I look at Abraham Lincoln as a great role model in that regard. Who are some people you've considered as mentors on your leadership journey? Uh, there are three I'd like to mention. The first, when I was a department chair, actually the first two were both deans that I reported directly to. The, f the first one, Sammy Fersoon was his name. He was a people leader. He understood his people. He knew their strengths. He knew their weaknesses. But he also knew about them. He got to know people. I always loved talking with Sammy. He was uh, someone who set people at ease. And by getting to know them, I think it enabled him to be a better leader in terms of positioning people for success. The second, Bob Cook, he was my dean as well. Bob was a very data-driven person. He was also wonderful just to sit and talk with as well. He was also a people person in that regard. But he really understood numbers and the importance of using data in the decision-making process. And I learned that from him. And then the third would be uh, my predecessor, Dr. Earl Brooks. Dr. Brooks, I think he had a gr good combination of understanding the people and using the numbers uh, to, to drive decision-making. He has an incredible grasp of numbers. He understands what's important. He, he can support decisions based on the data in front of him, but he also understands his people. And he, he's excellent at cultivating and building relationships, which is very important, in the, not just in fundraising, but also in just leading a large organization like Tryon University. So I learned uh, a lot from him as well. Those, those are the three that come to mind for me. Probably some of the things you just mentioned as qualities are going to come up in the answer to my next question, which is uh, what do you think are the keys to effective leadership? How do we measure success of the leader? So you have to look at the metrics for performance of the leader. The successful leaders successfully meet the performance metrics, whatever they may be. So that, that's the starting point, uh, but, but not just meeting their goals, doing so in the right way. So doing the right thing in the right way. The ends don't always justify the means, right? We have to do things right 
but also we have to do the right things. And when that's achieved and those performance metrics are met, then that's success. I, I can also say when we do things in the right, we'll do the right things in the right way and we don't achieve our performance metrics. That doesn't mean failure necessarily. It's failure to meet the goals for that particular year. But how can we change things up going forward so that we can meet those performance metrics the next time around, right? So it's not to give up, to continue being persistent, which was you know the lesson from Abraham Lincoln. And also thinking outside the box, doing things in an innovative, bold, and new way, the lesson from Alexander the Great. And you also mentioned, I, I would presume, uh, being relational is a key as well. Like you mentioned, having uh, got that from your one dean and from Dr. Brooks. Well, that, that's right. I mean, being a leader, it has nothing to do with the individual person and any sort of ambition he or she may have. It's about being the leader of a team, right? And that requires a team effort. And so it's very important to get to know the team, to build those relationships, not just to know them on a professional level, but know them as people. Leaders lead people. And to do that, we need to know our people and understand them. So relationship building is key to that. What about, um, I know the another aspect you mentioned was, you know, data. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, you know, how do leaders or how do you as a leader kind of sift through i mean we're in a we're in an era now where we're just inundated with data we have all sorts of things available and how do you sift through that to know to zero in on the data you need to make effective decisions so you have to understand the situation first and foremost right what what is it that you're trying to accomplish what is the environment the situation there so what is it you want to do within that environment why do you want to do it and how will you measure success Those are three questions that have to be answered before you implement a a new decision, right? So the data that's used would be a part of that how you measure success. I can't say exactly what that data is unless I know what the situation is, right? Uh, But one thing that's very important to note here is leaders have to be very careful about jumping to conclusions and knee-jerk reactions to situations as they arise, my experience has been knee-jerk reactions typically are wrong-headed and end up in failure. Uh, that's because the leader didn't understand the situation fully. How do you understand a situation fully? You, you go to the people who are expert in that area who are impacted by it, as I already mentioned. You know, have those discussions. Understand before acting. When we act, as leaders especially, when we act out of ignorance the results can be devastating and unexpected and not what we wanted. When we act out of knowledge, and that means having evidence and data, uh, then we're much more likely to be successful. So of course we should want to have that evidence and data so that we can act through knowledge and not ignorance. What are some qualities you think can hamper effective leadership? Well, first, if the leader wants to be popular, that can hamper effectiveness. Being a leader is not a popularity contest. Sometimes we have to make hard decisions and, and we have to hold difficult conversations. In fact, I, I, I'll address this in a little bit, but those leaders who want people to like them are going to probably end up becoming discouraged and 
ultimately may fail in their role. There are going to always be people who will resist some things that we're trying to do as leaders, and that's okay. As long as we, again, as long as we're doing the right thing and we're doing it in the right way, and, and I didn't mention this already, but and we're empowering people to get the job done in ways that they can do it and they want to do it and they are um, uh, take responsibility f- for it, and then we're going to be much more likely to be successful in that regard. So I think popularity can hamper effectiveness. I think um, people who don't like to have difficult conversations, they're going to be hampered in terms of being a leader. Uh, to me, the difficult discussion, let's say someone's underperforming, someone that the leader that I respect and I admire, yet they're underperforming for whatever reason. And they report, let's say they report directly to me. In a situation like that, it's my responsibility to sit down with that person and discuss the poor performance, whatever may be the cause of it, and say, well, you got to turn this around. You have to change what you're doing in ways that will bring success. That, that's not a, an easy discussion to have, especially if you, if you have respect and admiration for the person you're talking to, but it's the best conversation to have with them. So those who are averse to confrontation are going to have a hard time as a leader. What are some things you think that leaders can do to, to overcome the issues that would hamper them, um, the wanting to be popular, popular or the maybe the inability or reluctance to have those difficult conversations. There's a great book on uh, the power, it's called The Power of the Presidency by James Fisher, where he talks about in the university setting, being a university president and the president wanting to be popular with the faculty and having lunch every day with the faculty and so on and so forth. If the president does that too much, then the president becomes just one other faculty member and should go back, really should go back to teaching. The president needs to, in in a case like that, they need to step back and reflect upon why they're in the role they're in. They're there not to be a faculty member, not to be a staff member, not to be a student at the university, but to lead the university. And that's a specific skill set. And the expectation of everyone around the president is that that's the president. Right, mm-hmm. and so if they're, they have to be willing to fully embrace that role, and if they're not, if they can't, then they're not going to be successful. So it's a it's difficult to change if if that's the, if if they've always been well liked and whatnot. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with being liked. We all want to be liked. I'm not saying we we should strive not to be liked, but our role is to provide leadership, and they have to understand it, embrace it, and and take action in the way that a president uh, performs their duties. Trine University's mission statement says, we prepare students to succeed, lead, and serve. Um, What do we do to prepare students for leadership? Preparing for leadership really gets to this notion of the power skills. You know, employers tell me, again and again, that when they hire recent graduates from wherever, for whatever university, they find that they have all the technical skills and content knowledge that they need, but they lack in what they refer to as soft skills. I call those power skills. And what are they? They're the ability to communicate effectively, whether when speaking or in writing, the ability to, uh, to think critically, solve problems, work on, well on a team, reason quantitatively, use data to put forward a persuasive argument and so forth. At Trine, our approach is that 
those skills are developed in all of our courses. So in other words, the ability to write, if we were to say, oh, that's the responsibility of the English department and the ability to speak, oh, the communication professors teach that and the students get that just in their first year, then instead of that being value added in the curriculum, it would be value subtracted. By their senior year, they'd be worse in writing and speaking than they were in their freshman year. So we can't have that at Trine, and our faculty understand that. They need to be reinforcing these skills throughout the four years that the students are here. That means students should be prepared to give a presentation in their in their third year criminal justice course or their second year uh, engineering course and so forth. By practicing those skills throughout the four years, we've prepared them for leadership because these really are power skills. And I say that because the, the employees who can work well on a team, who can communicate effectively, uh, think critically, solve real world problems, they're the ones that are going to get promoted. And that, that's why these are power skills. So uh, that's what we do very well, I think, at Trine University. There's three elements to that mission statement, succeed, lead, and serve. Why do you think success and service are important complements for leadership? Because leadership is all, it's really all about service to the greater good. It's not about personal ambition. Leaders who have personal ambition are, um, are thinking in a very narrow tunnel, in, in the end, they're not going to be effective as leaders. The leader's role is to move, not themselves forward, but to move the entire organization forward. And so that involves their service to making that happen. And, and so I always view my whole career, I've always viewed whatever I'm doing as service to others. And I think our, our staff, our faculty, our administration, they should be viewing their roles in the same vein that what they're doing is service to others in this regard. We are, we are educating our students. We are preparing them for their futures. We are helping them to achieve success in life. Wow. I mean, that's very impactful what we're doing here. And that goes from everyone uh, on the staff side on up to the president of the university. So I definitely view leadership as tied, intrinsically tied to service. What are some books, uh, podcasts, or other resources you would recommend to somebody looking to improve their leadership skills? So I would start by reading or going to podcasts by Daniel Goleman. Goleman wrote on um, leadership and speaks on leadership. So he, he's an expert in the area. Uh, he, he's outstanding. Also, Brene Brown wrote Daring to Lead. She has podcasts and other books and whatnot. Daring to Lead's a, a really good uh, book for uh, someone who's in a leadership role. Uh, and then the third would be Profiles in Courage by John Kennedy. That book, it's not about politics on the left or the right. It's about politicians who went against their constituents, knowing what they were doing was unpopular believing that they were probably going to get voted out in the next election, but they did it anyway because they felt they were doing the right thing for their constituents, that their job was to do the right thing. And so they went against the popular masses. Many of them paid the price, but 
It showed great courage and conviction and holding true to their values. So I think that's just a really good book. It doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum anyone's on. Uh, the book itself is really about courage and taking a stance based on what you believe is right. So I, I, that's another, uh, another good book for a leader to read. What other advice would you give to someone who's looking to enhance their leadership skills? Listen carefully to your people, get to know them, understand uh, your people and the situation. You know, I, I find that, um, and I've already talked a little bit about this. So one thing I learned in my many years of living and working overseas, when I was in a very uh, foreign environment, is to observe my surroundings, not to judge, oh, that's good, oh, that's bad. No, but it was more to understand why are they doing things so differently from what I'm used to? What is the purpose of that? By, by observing to understand, I could then be informed. My judgment could then be informed. So it's the same for leadership, to uh, understand your situation so that you're informed in the decision-making process. And I would imagine, too, in other nations, leadership looks a lot different than maybe it does here in the United States. Most definitely. I've lived under, I've lived in countries that were run by, by dictators, by royal families, uh, and in democracies overseas. So a very different, um, and the impact that it has on, on the people is uh, profound. And again, coming from the United States, to, to see things through the American lens it, it sort of uh, obscures the reason why they do things the way they do. So it was always um, important for, to me to try not to judge them until I understood really what was going on. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Dr. Shannon, for joining me today. Thank you. But to our listeners, check back for more insights from Dr. Shannon on the next Trineline podcast. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.